knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So the first bell is when you show up. And when you show up to your first workout, we like to say, you know, it's probably going to be shocking to you if you haven't been working out. The workouts are generally pretty hard. We have an expression we call splashing Merlot, which means you might throw up. I mean, it's, it, it's hard enough and you've been on the couch long enough that you might do so. And that feeling of exhaustion and being overwhelmed will last for a while. Then you're going to get in better shape. And when you do, somebody's going to ask you to leave. That's a basic principle. It's a core principle that we're led uh, from within. And when you do that, that's called the second bell, when you lead for the first time, or cue. So for us, the leader is called the cue. So when you cue for the first time, cue a workout for the first time, you're going to have another frightening experience because you're going to find out that standing in front of 15 or 16 men and telling them what to do is a lot different than being one of the 15 or 16 men and being told what to do. And for a lot of our guys, that's their first opportunity to lead, to truly lead. I'm David Redding, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Another great episode today. I've been wanting to get this episode for a long time. The, uh, this particular individual was on my initial list as I started this podcast. Um, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know that um, as well as fishing, leadership and fitness are two things that we talk about a lot on this podcast. And these two subjects are going to be discussed heavily in this next conversation. If you know what F3 is, then buckle up, get ready. It's going to be a great, great uh, podcast with one of the people who started it. Dread, David Redding is one of the guys that started it. If you don't know what F3 is, man, get ready to learn about a movement that is based in fitness, fellowship, and faith. And this is an all-male workout network where it's a network of these small workout groups that really is having a major effect, ripple effect throughout the communities that it is involved in, throughout the region, throughout the state, throughout the nation, and throughout the world. F3 is doing some incredible work. I was really excited to learn a lot about it and how this thing has grown so much because about the same time that F3 got started, I started my own workout group and my workout group has grown and 
split off and other groups have started and it's moved to different cities. Well, take that and multiply it exponentially to understand what's going on with F3. So I think you're really going to like this conversation. I think it's going to hit home with a lot of you. And I think that a lot of you are going to be interested in learning some more. And all the resources are going to be there for you to do exactly that. So David Redding, Dread, he's known in his F3 nation. He's up right now. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So we're live, man. David, thank you. Do you prefer Dave or David? Uh, you know, in F3 world, I'm called Dread. Dread. Yes. I'd see that. And and that is certainly something that we're going to discuss a bit, the nicknames. So you're you're dread in F3. That's right. So F3, can you can you describe F3 like in its current state right now? Sure. F3 is a men's small workout group. Really, it's a network of men's small workouts groups that started in Charlotte, North Carolina in uh, 2011. So one 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 is when we started with one group. Currently, I want to say it's not my job to keep track of this, but the last time I heard the guy whose job it is to say it, it was 36 or 37 states, maybe. Uh, wow. And I think we have maybe close to 2,000 individual workout groups uh, that have grown. This has grown over the last eight or nine years or so from the original group. Uh, F3 stands for Fitness, Fellowship, and Faith. Those are the three Fs. Uh, the first F is fitness, and that's kind of the magnet of the group. That's why men show up. So it's a peer-led, no cost, always outdoors, generally in the morning, although there's no rules about that, uh, workout that can last anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, usually runs one day a week. Uh, I'm sorry, every day of the week. So the workouts run every morning, depending on what region you're in. So I'm in what we call Charlotte uh, Metro. There's probably four or five workouts every day of the week because we've been around it for a while. Other newer regions, maybe they're one day a week or uh, you know, maybe not even every day of the week yet, but they're working towards that. A workout group might have anywhere from seven or eight guys, and the biggest are usually about mid-20s, maybe a little higher. We usually say once you get over 18, you kind of lose contact with each other, and that's the second F, which we call fellowship. So uh, once you join the group and you start working out, you start getting fit, you start realizing you got some guys that are your buddies with, uh, and you start building the bonds of friendship, and it's a convenient and easy way to do that. Uh, and that second F uh, provides men with fellowship in their lives and, and somebody to talk to who's got no other agenda, you know? You're just out there working out together. The third F is for faith, and that's not for any particular faith or denomination. It's just simply for belief in something outside of yourself. So uh, from the standpoint of their typical F3 guy, he's got to the point in his life where he realizes that he didn't start the world, he didn't run the world, and uh, he, he needs a little help 
in uh, finding his place in the world. And that's our very loose definition of faith. So uh, the tagline of all this is the fitness is the magnet. That's what gets you out there. Fellowship is the glue. That, that's what keeps you coming. And uh, the faith is the, is the dynamite because based on the faith, that's what causes you to go out, recruit other men to come, but also get together and do things in your community that uh, advance the interests of the community, whether it's work, you know, working out or helping out at a homeless shelter or uh, working at a school to, to, to do maintenance projects, whatever it might be. Every group's got their own thing. Uh, but that for us is part of the third F, part of the faith aspect of it. Right. Man, it's remarkably similar to a group that, that I created. And, and so people show up at my driveway at five o'clock in the morning. It's always in the morning. It's always outside. And this group has become, I mean, really, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of in my life. Like, because I've seen kind of as, as I'm sure that you have, and I read your book last night, you just see this remarkable change in people's lives and in my own life when you add the three F's to your life, like, like exactly like you're saying. Now, my group started in 2009, I think. And it was kind of interesting that people would move away and go to a different city and immediately set up something similar in their garage and then start to have a group around there. And, and so my group has kind of done that on its own, but it seems like that was kind of out of design for you. Like in the book last night I was reading and you talk about how a certain number, and you've already mentioned it once, how a certain number of people kind of took away from some of the core principles. And that was 18, right? Yeah, exactly. That's We, we found that number to be where you enter the zone of diminishing returns to fellowship. You know, you get you get above that number and it's really hard to remember each other's name. And it's also organically where the group starts to break off. And very early on, we made it clear that we wanted guys to start their own groups. And, you know, the idea wasn't to build numbers and have hundreds of guys like some kind of pep rally. But the idea was to have as many smaller groups as we needed to serve the men who needed to be served. And we didn't want them to be anywhere to be placed where the men needed them. So that was a big part of the outdoors thing, because, you know, we have them at parks, we have them at schools. We have them in Walmart parking lots. You know, all we really need is some outdoor and accessible area where guys can park their cars. So to lower the barriers to the starting of groups, we just want to make it simple. And we wanted guys who, say, had been in a group for a while. They were driving maybe five miles to it in the morning. They're like, man, I, you know, I've got a neighborhood park and there's guys there. You know, can I start a group of my, uh, of my own? And we're like, of course, here's how you do it. Now, the weird part of that is, you would think if you break up a you know a 20-man group, you're left with one 10-man group and another 10-man group. But we found that we got addition by division, You know that the original 20-man group becomes two 10-man groups for a while. But then after a while, those two individual 10-man groups, they build up to 20-man groups and then they redivide. Right. A couple of guys from those groups might leave the area. We call those mustard seeds, you know, because it's something small that goes to something big. And they might float off somewhere, you know, in Michigan or something. They get there and they're like, wow, I would love to, you know, do the same thing here. And we have a system for that. You know, we provide them with assistance in starting the groups. That's one of the ways we grow is through that mustard seed. Yeah. What what kind of assistance do you, I mean, like when somebody does that and they're, they kind of like in that situation, a mustard seed kind of person, they go off to a new place. They don't know anyone there. 
and they're going to start this group. Like, what what does that look like when you provide assistance, like from from your level? Yeah, so we have actually two books. One, it sounds like you read the one you read is probably free to lead. Uh, that one. That's what I read. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been out for a few years, and that is like the basics of F three, right? The philosophy of it, the problem it, that we identified and the solution that we saw, you know, we didn't really come up with it. It just happened. And then we started trying to define what we had lucked into. If you had that book, we think it would give you enough of the explanation of F3 to go someplace and start putting a group together. You know, it gives you that much. Now there's a second book, and this has recently just come out in published form. Uh, before that, it was, you know, PDFs and that kind of thing. But so it's available on Amazon now, but that's called QSource, which is the is the field manual for vir- virtuous leadership. So the QSource uh, goes more in depth on you know free style leadership and how it works. So those are two resources that are available to guys. But we also send guys to to send men. We call our uh, members PACs. It's just military short for uh, personnel. PAX. Uh, we send PACs to new workouts, to mustard seed workouts, and new workouts that we start as much as needed. So let's say we deliberately start a workout, which we call a leap. Let's say we decide we're going to start a, a, a new workout in Kansas City. We don't have any mustard seeds there. It's just a place that we want to go for a variety of reasons. So we identify some guys that already live there on the ground. It might be good guys to build a workout around. We designate uh, a plant team, which is usually two or three men. And then we send them and other guys in for, I think, five weeks straight on Saturdays to start the workout, show them how it's done, counsel them and that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's something that F3 pays for. We pay the travel. The, the guys volunteer their time to do it, but uh, we pay their travel. Now, if a mustard seed was out in a place that we didn't choose, and we look for density and a couple other things, but you know, a guy lands in Oshkosh, you know, it's not a place we were going to start a workout. But an F3 guy lands there from Tampa, you know, he moves there. And he says, look, I want to I start a workout. You know, we'll send him help. So we have a, another program for that which is called Troubadour. And, and we just take guys from other regions and send them to those new places and spread the culture that way. So we give them that kind of physical support, uh, the emotional support, you know, the, the materials uh, that they can use. And there's a lot of, we call them cookbooks, just kind of recipe bar- books, charts on how you do stuff, thing that, things that have developed over the years that have worked for guys. So we provide all that. And then there's the F3 network, you know, the website. And we have uh, Slack channel we have twitter we have uh every other friday i think we have different kinds of calls so the leaders of our groups are called nantans we have nantan calls we have mustard seed calls you know so we have all sorts of different uh communication methods to help guys learn and cross-level experiences from other regions so if you find yourself in some place and you want to start a workout uh, and you know a little bit about it you know it you can connect in and get a lot of help from us uh to to get it started because that's that's in our mission which is to plant, serve, and grow men's small workout groups in order to invigorate male community leadership. So to plant, serve, and grow, we got to provide that. Uh, and that's that's what we do. Right. Man, that's, that's incredible. So what's your background? So I'm originally from Connecticut, and I went to Boston College, had an ROTC scholarship. They sent me to Fort Benning, uh, and I never went back uh, north. Spent nine years in the military, the last half of which was in Special Forces at Fort Bragg. Left the Army in 1994 and went to law school at Wake Forest, which is North Carolina, and uh, decided to stay in North Carolina. 
have been a lawyer here in Charlotte, North Carolina for the last 20 years or so. Uh, and that's kind of how I arrived to where I am about 12 years ago on Halloween, of all things. I had a religious experience, an epiphany of sorts, and surrendered my life to Christ. And uh, one of the things that manifested itself after that or an outgrowth of that was a determination to serve other men in the way that I was hardwired to do so. And uh, I did, found out that my hardwiring was to help them become better leaders in their families, uh, in their jobs, in their communities, whatever it, whatever it took or whatever they needed it. So F3 grew out of that. Really, it just started with what in the Army we call PT or physical training, which just is a morning session of physical training that you know most Army units have at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it was just a great way to start getting in shape and you know accentuate unit cohesiveness. So that's kind of how we started, just replicating that part of the day for guys that you know they aren't in the Army, they're bankers or lawyers or whatever, or worked in a factory, doesn't really matter. But just giving them that opportunity to get fit uh, strengthen the bonds with other men, you know, and, and practice their leadership. Uh, and that became the basis of the group. And from that, all these thing, all these other things arose and every man has his own motivation for doing it. You know, we've got guys that have a tremendous heart uh, for the homeless or a heart for, uh, people that are addicted to drugs, alcohol, uh, you know, you name it. We have guys that are just, uh, their heart is for people who've been driven out of their homes by, uh, natural disasters. And, uh, what they find in F3 is like-minded men who are physically fit and also have a heart for service. And because of that, they can form these teams that can go out and accomplish things. So we don't tell anybody what to do anywhere. You know, we have our core principles in our mission, and that's about it. If a, uh, if, a, if a group in another, you know, in Dallas says, you know, we want to start this F3 mission to, you know, fill in the blank, provide shoes to the homeless, we're like, it's great, you know? Uh, Anything that accelerates male community leadership is what we're all about. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to help as best we can. We have a foundation. We raise some money. If we can, we, you know, we'll provide some money for that and uh, some some of our experience in group starting and leadership and try to help those guys be as positive and as be as impactful as they can. Yeah, man. I think people, you know, outside of F3 that don't, you know, don't know the story and, and just see people kind of working out and then they find that this is a larger kind of movement. I think a lot of people would be surprised that nobody's getting rich from this. <laughs> well, my wife, like, my wife, you know what I mean? My wife's like, one of the most surprised people because of the amount of time <laughs> that I put into it. Uh, I would say, yeah, I would say, you know, define rich. I am enriched in ways past. I, I mean, I, I, I can't quantify it. Uh, the enrich how it, what it has done in my life. Uh, so you know, from my perspective, it has made me rich, but uh, that hasn't that hasn't been uh, financial anyway. Right. No, I mean, there's definitely many definitions of 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 being rich, and uh, it sounds to me like you are you are making such a contribution to so many people that you know, and and I have something similar in my life, which is, which led me to want to, to talk to you. Um, and that has been just, just like you're talking about, it has been more rewarding, more fulfilling than pretty much anything else. And it is leading this group of men and we do it slightly different than, than you, but it, it seems like 
man, I mean, the service is there, the fellowship is there, the early mornings. It's it's very similar, and it's just kind of interesting that you had such a such a broader vision of what this could be. And, um, but, but I find it interesting. And one of the reasons why I wanted to read the book is because I knew you were a lawyer, like a practicing lawyer, day-to-day lawyer. So how is it that, that you had the time to do this? I'm, I'm assuming it's with a lot of help from other F3 guys, but then I read last night that you don't have a single employee is that true? Is that right? That as we sit here today, that is still true. We are, we have evolved some since then out of necessity. So, uh, the basis of the original group, our way of organizing, organizing was uh, was based upon a couple of things. But well, one of the strong inputs into it was uh, a book called The Starfish and the Spider, which is about uh, le- what they call leaderless groups. It really we turned it up inside out in a way. We call F3 a group of leaders, like every man's a leader. But the premise of Starfish and a Spider is that you have two kinds of groups. One is a spider, you know, and if you cut the head off, the spider dies. Another is a starfish where the head doesn't really matter. It's all about the legs. And if you cut a leg off, the starfish grows a new leg, but the the leg you cut off grows into a new starfish. So we adopted that as our idea of the starfish as our growth model. And because of that, from the very start, we weren't sucking resources up into the top of some kind of pyramid. You know, it was the idea was always to force out authority, power, and decision-making down to the legs of the fish, so to speak, so that, that, that the closer you were to the men being led, the more authority and responsibility you had. You know, whereas at the center of the starfish, which, had, you know, is us, I guess, we have five guys uh, that we call the executive group, uh, all volunteers, um, you know, that, that we, don't, we don't really do much in the day-to-day you know, we have vision, we set policy, we cross-level information, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, as F3 has grown, we've evolved in some ways out of necessity. So to try to describe that, uh, we have a concept we call 43 feet, which is that we're building, the leaders of F3 are building the road that the men who participate in it are driving on 43 feet ahead of them. In other words, they can see us. I mean, we're right up in front of them. So Right. You know, there, what's the significance trying, of 43? That was the the modal age of the average or the modal age of the, of most groups that we have. So at the end of every workout, we have a circle of trust. One of the things we go through that is each man says his age. And uh, we have a variety of reasons to do that. One of them is we want to vertically integrate amongst generations, have young men working out with old men so that we cross level all that wisdom and enthusiasm and energy. So it was important to, to say, you know, you know, what we say is three things. Your hospital name, that's what you were named uh, by your parents in the hospital before they knew you. So I say, you know, I'm Dave Redding. My F3 name is Dred. That's what I've been named by in F3. My age is 43. So you, you know, you know how old I am. I'm actually 55 now. Anyway, so when we first <laughs> started F3, it seemed like everybody was 43. You know, you know, there was a few others, but, you know, everybody seemed to be 43 and still the case. So we went back and we analyzed mm-hmm. that. What we came up with is that that's the age that a man has kind of risen in his business to a point of leadership. You know, he's, he's either through talent or just perseverance, he's outlasted people. You know, he's walking in the break room in his office and he can tell everybody's talking about somebody and suddenly he realizes it's just him. You know, you're the man now. His dad is aging out a little bit and started to ask him for advice. 
But he looks around in his world and he says, I'm 43 years old and I need to, I need to lead and I don't know how. I've never been taught leadership, really. I'm not even sure what it is. And he has a little bit of uh, anxiety and panic. And then his brother-in-law says, hey, you ought to come out with this workout group with me. And he does. And suddenly there's a bunch of guys talking mm-hmm. about the same thing he's worried about. And, and we're, we're aggressively trying to solve that problem. So that's, that's why 43 has a significance to us. It's that, it's that age that you still have the exuberance of youth, but the world looks at you in a way that you know you're too old to get away with that anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, you're expected to yeah, be a grown It's funny now. because that's, that's really the age. Like, I'm 51 now. We've been doing this for, for uh, over 10 years. So at the time it was like 40, 41. And then there's, that's kind of the age, 42, 43, right in there, like exactly what you're talking about. And then, then what you're describing, I mean, obviously with the success that you're having in, in planting these, these workout groups, I mean, it's obviously working, but there's obviously a huge need there, like for those, those type of people in that age group. It's interesting. That's you're so you're you you really have like all of these processes and that all that all stems from your military career, right? Like the way that you've been able to grow this and like the way that you that you're processing all of this and and the acronyms and and all of that. Are you just pulling that straight from your your military career? Well, let me first answer by saying that that you you use the word you way too many times. I have, we operate as part of a shared leadership team. So, you know, I, I am the Nantan of F3, what we call F3 nation, you know, which is the network of all the regions and, uh, that in starfish and the spider, that was the, the, the Navajo Apache chief. And it, it's it different. What the American military found out was, whereas every other tribe they had vanquished because all they had to do was kill the chief they couldn't get that done with the with the navajos you know uh and they try to figure out why they you know the their leader was called a nantan what they realized was that the navajos were, were organized differently their nantan didn't have direct power he led through influence in other words he was the cultural and spiritual leader rather than than in, the institutional leader so when they killed him another guy just jumped up you know like, what the heck Ultimately, the way they were able to vanquish him is to give give every every Indian a cow, and he started caring more about the cow than he cared about the group, and that killed him. But they couldn't do it by killing the leader, and uh, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it that way. So I said, "That's that's how we're going to do this. That's how I was taught ideally that it should work." In the you know, if you're in the army for nine years like I was, you'd spend three years in leadership schools of one kind or another, and that's how it was taught, and it was practiced in the field like humans practice anything, ideally. I mean, most of the leaders that I had practiced it that way. Some did not, and many were better at it than others. But always the principle was that every man was expected to be a leader and that the best leadership was done as a team rather than as an individual. So I would say, yeah, I, I certainly got a huge dose of that in from the military. My experience in the civil world, civilian world, wasn't that it didn't practice shared leadership. It was that it didn't practice leadership at all, at least not the way I viewed it. I mean, it practiced management or governance, which I see as kind of something different. 
But the idea of influencing people to movement, which is the simple F3 definition of leadership, which comes from the military. To me, that's not something that I saw a lot of in the civilian world. And it irked me a little bit. But, you know, part of what this experience has been for me is a recognition of, well, where would you learn it? I mean, if uh, my usual course of uh, becoming a lawyer is you go to undergrad for four years somewhere. Maybe you work in outside for a couple of years, but most people don't. They go straight to law school and then they're a lawyer. You know, why would I expect somebody who had spent six years or seven years in college who's on their first job, how would they know anything about leadership? They haven't been trained in it. They haven't been apprenticed in it. They haven't been given an opportunity to practice it. But most importantly, they haven't had a chance to fail and learn from it. And I had, a, had all those things in spades. And that's why I kind of went from being a guy that would grouse about how poorly led uh, organizations were to a guy that said, well, look, I mean, uh, I got all this training, you know, um, I should use it, you know, instead of just sitting around criticizing people. And that's, that, was a, that was a lot of what drove me was to try to give that back. So when, when you are, are teaching leadership and you're, you're on this mission to, to give back and to, you know, it seems like you've been able to scale it pretty well, but let's just talk about like your, your standard 43 year old that finds one of these groups and goes in, like, how, how are you teaching someone leadership through, through these groups specifically? Like, like just for a regular 43 year old, like a guy that we've talked about that goes there, he has, he's got no idea. He's never had anybody teach him these things. How does he learn it through these groups? So we have a, uh, a concept of a leadership development process or an LDP that we call it. Uh, it's highly decentralized in that we would expect F- F3 in Tallahassee to, to do it differently than F3 in Seattle. They would, they, but they would follow what we would say are, is the ideal process with their own way of doing it. And I kind of described it to you a little bit. So the ideal leadership development process for us has some form of schooling. That's what it starts with. And this is the uh, transfer of knowledge about leadership, about leadership principles in a scholastic way. You know, whether you read Leadership for Dummies, uh, which is actually a pretty good book, or you go to West Point, you're going to you're going to learn the same timeless principles of leadership just in a different way. But it's going to be book learning. You know, you're, it's somebody writing on a on a whiteboard or a book you're reading or a lecture or something like that. That's what we call schooling. That's the first phase. And that's necessary because you need the head knowledge. You know, you need to be able to go back and, and have those, those common terms to rely upon, some kind of commonality, but just have a basis to build your foundation on. The second phase is called apprenticeship. And that's where a master leader, which is somebody who's been leading for a while, in a hands-on way, helps a junior emerging leader, a novice, put into practice those leadership fundamentals that he's learned through schooling. So, you know, you picture a guy teaching somebody how to make shoes. You know, that's that's actually called uh, cord waning to make shoes. A cobbler actually fixes shoes. But learning how to make shoes like a cord waner, in the old way, you you did that through an apprenticeship. I mean, you you started off watching a, a master do it. Then you helped him do it. And then finally, you did it yourself under his tutelage and observation. That's an apprenticeship. Works the same thing with leadership. Initially, you watch another man lead. Then you help them lead, and then you do it yourself with him there. Once you've 
grown through that, and now you are, are kind of past the apprenticeship phase, you go to opportunity, which is you get the chance to lead yourself without your master right there to help you in case you mess up. In other words, you're responsible for the outcome. That's where what's, what's, what's head knowledge really goes to heart and hand knowledge. That's where you start to be able to do it, not just in ideal conditions, but in what we like to call conditions of limited visibility and high stress, because that's when you'll be exposed if your leadership foundation isn't strong. And ultimately, inevitably, you'll fail. And failure is the fourth phase because it's through failure that you really learn how to lead. It really gets burnt in. You can succeed and that could have been blind luck and you don't, you learn something from that. But when you fail, man, you know what not to do. You're not going to do that again. That eliminates the things that actually don't work. So these four phases of the leadership development process, schooling, apprenticeship, opportunity, and failure are, are what we teach. And we say to all our guys, you know, teach it the way it works for you on the ground where you are, but use this format or this, you know, this, this, this kind of basis for it and it'll work best. It's what I was taught in the military. I, I don't think there's any uh, system. Let's take learning how to fly an airplane. Same thing. You learn about aer- aeronautics on a chalkboard. You fly with a, 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 a trainer who, who, who teaches a solo. Then you start soloing. Then you get your pilot's license. And you're going to have some failures and hope you don't kill somebody. <laughs> and then you, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. And then from all that, you know, you come around again and you start learning more. And it's kind of a circular thing. And the life of a leader, we say, is a practice. You're never done learning how to lead. Right. There's always I, more that you can learn and put into practice. I see that very clearly. But like, how would somebody that joins a group, like what would they, what would their leadership process look like, like on the ground? And I know it's different in each one of these groups, but they're like, how are they experiencing the leadership? They're, they're running one of these workouts and then how are they experiencing failure? Exactly. Exactly. So the first, uh, when you first, we call post, which comes to your first workout, we call that the first bell, ding, ding, first bell kind of borrowed that from uh, it's a wonderful life you know there's <laughs> somewhere there's in heaven there's a bell, bell ring right right so the first bell is when you show up and when you show up to your first workout we like to say you know it's probably going to be shocking to you if you haven't been working out the workouts are generally pretty hard uh we have an expression we call it splashing merlot which means you might throw up <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> it, it's hard enough and you've been on the couch long enough that you might do so and that feeling of exhaustion and being overwhelmed will last for a while then you're going to get in better shape. And when you do, somebody's going to ask you to leave. That's a basic principle. It's a core principle that we're led uh, from within. And when you do that, that's called the second bell, when you lead for the first time or cue. So for us, the leader is called the cue. So when you cue for the first time, cue workout for the first time, you're going to have another frightening experience because you're going to find out that standing in front of 15 or 16 men and telling them what to do is a lot different than being one of the 15 or 16 men and being told mm-hmm. what to do. And for a lot of our guys, that's their first opportunity ever to lead, in their life. To truly lead. They like that's what you're that's what you're lives. finding really that that like there's a massive part of the population that has never even stood up in front of 15 people and tried to get them to do something, like a basketball team or a football yeah. team or like anything. Yeah. Wow. Right. Okay. That's why uh, that's why the civilian world is doing trust falls, yeah. You know? uh, because they're trying to you know they're trying to build help people build up. I mean, for me that experience came at Fort Benning. I was 21 years old, 
they taught us how to lead PT. There's a, there's a system, you know, it's got several, it's got a dozen steps in it. Uh, we reduced that drastically in F3 to, to, to basically three two-part commands. Uh, and that's how you initiate the, the extra, each exercise. And so they taught it to us and we practiced a little bit. And the first day that it was my turn, I got my opportunity to do it. Uh, I went home that night, was in my apartment practicing in the mirror. I memorized the commands. I practiced by myself. I knew I could do it. Next day, I walked out in front of 40 men for the first time and forgot everything I thought I had memorized. <laughs> totally blank. The captain, you know, I'm a lieutenant. The captain is kind of feeding me my lines off stage and telling me what to say. And it lasted 40 minutes. It was 40 minutes of sweat drenched, absolute abject horror. I mean, it was so bad. And, you know, the other guys are trying not to snicker out loud because they know they're going to get their turn and it, they're probably going to mess it up just as bad as me. We're all students. I get to the end. I don't know what the captain's going to say. I figure he's going to either turn away in embarrassment or he's going to chew me out. But you know what he says? He goes, all right, I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. That was horrible. In fact, if, uh, if we had a museum of failure at Fort Benning, that would have its own <laughs> name. Uh, but, but. <laughs> Here's the good news. Here's the good news. You're going to get to try again tomorrow. So I came back the next day and I was marginally better. And I think after about four or five shots at it, he said, uh, you have now reached the absolute bottom rung of minimal competence. Congratulations. <laughs> after about a thousand more, more reps, you'll start to get good at it. And uh, you know what? He was right. After about a thousand reps, now I went off and was a platoon leader in the real world and all that. I was confident. And after about a thousand more, I think I was pretty good. I got to about 10,000 and I could do it without thinking. I could do it while I was thinking about something else. I could interject humor into it. I could do all sorts of stuff. That was, you know, kind of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000, right. you know, uh, 10,000 right. hours of practice thing, right? And it really, for me, it really was true. Now, that forms the basis of how we teach men how to lead. If you can get to the point where you can stand in front of 15 men and clearly and efficiently get them to understand what you're asking them to do and to execute it, you have learned in a tremendous leadership lesson, one that you can go take to anything. You can take it to your family. You can take it to your work. You can take it to your homeowner association and your neighborhood you live in. It's really the same thing. It's, it, it gives birth to all these little aphorisms and, and, and uh, tropes we have, like, you know, when in charge, take charge, you know, things like that, that just help men speak clearly and lead well. And uh, that's really the basis of it. We don't expect a guy that's, you know, been working in an accounting firm for 15 years to show up at an F3 workout and, and lead well, unless he has some military training. We expect him to show up and try. You know, and we spend a lot of time trying to help them try. And I think, you know, the experience I just described to you is set out and free to lead as best I could write it. And uh, that hopefully guys can take that experience and use it to create their own little story. Because teaching anything really is about stories, you know. I mean, you can sit there and say, uh, here are the seven principles of, a, you know, of a highly efficient, you know, or you can tell a guy's story. You know, there I was. Right. You know? Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I messed this up. And this is what this guy taught me. And what, what, I, what, I, what we want guys to do is learn how to do that. Learn how to use their own life experience 
and to, to graft onto the timeless principles and foundational pre, uh, pre, uh, precepts of leadership so that they can transfer the positive habits they have learned to other men. And that's what we call uh, living right. right. And if you live right, if you live in that way, you're going to have impact. And F3 exists for that purpose. You know, it's funny when somebody says, ah, you guys are just a workout group. I'm like, no, we're not even right. a workout group. We just work, use work. We just, we, we just use exercise to teach leadership. When I showed up the first day at a ranger school, you know, which is supposed to be about learning how to, to, to lead patrolling. The, I remember the, the ranger instructor said, you know, we're going to teach you patrolling because it's a useful skill for you, but we could be using truck driving. We could use anything difficult to teach you leadership, to put you in periods of, of low visibility and high stress and teach you leadership. But we've chosen patrolling because it's useful to an infantry leader. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. So it doesn't matter what your what your day job is. I mean, what's your um, well? I'm a television producer and uh, fisherman, actually. All right, there's two dis. There's, I mean, maybe uh, you're like the most dangerous right. catch, right? Uh, that we combine those two things. So, I mean, in both, I'm guessing because I watched uh, the George Clooney movie yeah. about fishing. I can't remember what it was, uh, yep, what it was called. Yep. Uh, there was there was a lot of leadership in that movie. Uh, there was a lot of leadership. And I'm guessing when you're out and, you know, you're out past 10, 15 miles and you start getting some weather or you're starting to try to, you're trying to figure out how to get the most fish in the net. And pretty much a lot of stories in the Bible are about just that. Uh, leadership is critical. I'm guessing. I don't know much about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's unbelievably critical. And so in my fishing, uh, mostly small boat guiding fishing where you have one to three or four yeah. customers and you're the captain and you know, wishy-washy leadership in those in that situation can get someone killed. So that is, you know, kind of like trial by fire, like you in the military, me when I'm 20 years old and in charge now of CEOs of, of giant corporations that are in my boat under my care at 20 years old, it's trial by fire. Like you have to learn how to lead these people that are older than your father and, you know, some of the, the most powerful men in the world in some cases. And you are there as a 20-year-old telling them what to do so that they don't kill themselves accidentally, um, <laughs> which could easily happen. But those, those type of leadership um, lessons are kind of what, what I started to, to uh, transfer to my group as well. Um, you're, you're doing it in a much more polished way, I think, because of your because of your military experience, and I say you again, but F3 does it in a, in a way that is way more polished and way more organized. And man, I can, I can pick up a lot of, of lessons for that. Now, I think that, you know, you say that someone could teach leadership with truck driving or, or whatever, but what do you think about how important it is that exercise is involved? Because so many people have said like, you bind men through suffering and humor more than any other way. And the military does it. You see that in workout groups. You see that in all these other things. But it just seems like you've really, you've really kind of put yourself in this position to where you're taking things, like you're teaching leadership and you're teaching fellowship and you're teaching these things through suffering and humor and it's it's really interesting, but it seems to me that that's like the most effective way. Well, I, it's most of, through it's the most exercise. effective for me. You know, I mean, the most effective way that I right. that I learn uh, I learn leadership because I'm a hard headed di- uh, autodidactic. You know, 
I don't, I didn't, I didn't do very well in school. Uh, I do much better out, you know, what I call collision learning, which yeah. is one face first. And so I think we yeah. would be best friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's me I just too. happen to be that kind of guy. <laughs> and the easiest way to get through to me is to, to do it in a frank and humorous way. And, uh, that, that works for me. And I don't try to be any different because if it works for me, then, then I might be a good teacher for somebody else who is of the same ilk. Not everyone is. So, you know, you know, you have to be your own guy. Like we like to say, wear your own pajamas, right? Whoever you are, be that guy. Just be really good at being that guy. Uh, so when we look at what we call team development, which is the formation and deployment of a dynamic team, and we think that's the basis uh, of all impact, community impact is to form dynamic teams, uh, explosive teams that get things done. Trust is, is, is the first part of the acronym, right? And the fastest and most effective ways to build trust is to share pain and deprivation, right? Right. You know, so if you right. do that and we do it 45 minutes a day, that's why one of the core principles of F3 is that workouts are outdoors. 45 minutes right. outdoors, turning over to another guy, you say, for the next 45 minutes, I will follow you. You know, and I'll take the pain, right? I'll keep trying. Doing that once a day not only clarifies your soul, but you bond with those other guys. Three years later, I'll have some guy walk up to me. Remember that rainstorm we worked out in in Wilmington? I'm like, oh, I'll go, yeah, right. sure. I don't specifically remember it because there's been a lot of rainstorms, but I remember the feeling he's talked about. You're doing push-ups in the rain. You didn't think you'd even come outside, but you did. And you fought through it. And the guys you fought through it are your brothers now. You know, that's the, the premise of army training, why it's difficult, why it's challenging. You fight through it. You get to the other side. You realize something about yourself that, you know, the, the depth of your ability to tolerate pain uh, and chaos is much deeper than you would have thought. Also, you learn about the other guy and then you burn those, you, you form those bonds. So one of the training exercises that we do, it's a weekend long thing, is we go to a region. We spend some time with them on Friday night to build some fellowship, spend a little time teaching them. In the morning, we wake up, we do a workout with them. A, a, you know, we, we lead it to show them how we do it. Uh, then we have a two or three hour leadership training seminar. It depends how long you know, they need us to do it. Take a few hours off and then we spend all night doing a go rock, which is put on a rucksack and have some guys come in and spend 12 hours mm -hmm. making us walk with logs and all sorts of stuff, kind of military, like a mini ranger school. Yeah, we've done those oh, too. So you know what I'm talking about. You get through all. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we, I did selection. Oh, oh man, you're a stud muffin. All right. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, right. I didn't complete selection, but I was there for 20 then, hours. I know exactly what you're talking about. And then I did another one, uh, Seal Fit Kokoro. Um, and I did finish that one. But, um, and so our group has done the, you know, the go ruck challenges and the, you know, the different tough mutters and different things like that. A similar, similar kind of deal. It's all to build fellowship. Yep. It's all to build leadership. It's all to have this shared suffering experience that brings the group together like nothing else. And, and, uh, you know, the relationships that are built there, um, you know, it's like, you're talking about the sifter in your book, like some relationships are just kind of meaningless for the most part. And when something real happens, those people fall out of the bottom of the sifter. And when you have these kind of shared suffering experiences with other people, those people are there to stay. And they actually care about you and what's going on. And and um, this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. 
Altacovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know, I, I see that so clearly when I read your book. I see it so clearly even, even in my group. It's the same thing. But I didn't want to interrupt your story. So you do the go ruck uh, that night, and then how do you finish the weekend? I, I'm glad you interrupted the story because, you, you know, you validated my thought process in the sense that it, what we, 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 we love to say, and we mean it almost 100%, we haven't invented anything. You know, all we've done is borrow the best of what we've seen other, other groups and other people do and try to integrate them and make and lay them open and accessible to men who have very limited time. You know, that's all, you know, because it'd be great. You know, if a guy walks around and says, I want to be a great leader, what should I do? Well, first thing news is enlist in the army and then go to, you know, who, well, I got three kids. Well, uh, uh, I guess you can't do that, right? right. <laughs> so right. can't do that, right? So then it, then maybe it's like Toastmasters yeah, or something. Yeah, which is, which is, which is fine, like, you know? I mean, okay. so anything, we, that's another part of who we are is we're not trying to replace anything we're not trying to replace the ymca we're not trying to replace crossfit we're not trying to replace a church nothing what we want to do is enhance the leadership of the men and women men you know because we have a woman's group i don't know much about it other than that it has separate leadership but i let me just take a quick side if if a woman's listening to this and she's saying why is it all he 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 because f3 is a man's thing it doesn't mean that right we i have three daughters and a wife i love women it just means that that's who I know, and that's that's what that's what this group is is focused on. So, if I'm if I sound uh, male centric on the pronouns pronouns, that's why. So, we haven't borrowed anything, we, and we're not trying to, to eclipse anything. We want every man in every organization where he already is called to lead to be a better leader there. So, if you're a CrossFit leader, be the best CrossFit leader you can. You know, if if you're a leader in your group, Tom, whatever it's called, be the best leader you can be in that in that group. If we can help you do that. That's great. If you say, I'm never coming to an F3 workout, I could care less. If you don't need it, don't <laughs> come. If we've helped you, then that's great. That's, that's, that's wonderful. You know, if you have an F3 workout, you got 10 guys in it and you're in Oshkosh and you're like, you know what? We don't want to wear black shirts. We want to call ourselves F17. I'm like, do it. Be the best F17 you can. Hey, if I come to Oshkosh, can I come work out with you? That's all I want to know. You know, I mean, that, so mm -hmm. that's how we're a little different. You know, we're not counting numbers, heads. You know, we say how many workouts we have. We don't, we don't count heads. We don't do it that way. That's not who we are. We really mean it when we say our purpose is to invigorate male community leadership. However that comes about is great. So this hardship thing we call hardship, which is pain and chaos. We, we call that a CSALP, which stands for completely stupid and utterly pointless. It's just something <laughs> crazy hard, right? Shorten, 
Yeah, we have yeah. some of those. Like sure. a Tough Mudder is like that. Like, is a Tough Mudder the one where they zap you with an electronic, like a charge? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Would, you get you know, zapped. I, I haven't done a Tough Mudder, but, you know, I've done Spartans and all of that. And when I heard about that, I remember somebody said, like, why would you do that? I'm like, because it hurts. That's why. It's like, you know, it's completely right. stupid and utterly pointless. And then after the fact, you can say But the did. good news is that there's a guy standing there with a broom handle. So if it gets stuck on you and really shocks you, he can knock yeah, it off. Yeah, it's good. Or he can um, hit you with it, you know? Yeah, right. So, right. you know, it's it's that <laughs> it's the sharing of pain and chaos and driving on through hardship that forms powerful, unbreakable bonds between men. That's what we call a shield lock. So we stress that. Now, that sifter thing you're talking about, I found, and you know, when I was out in the civilian world and I was boohooing about, oh, there's nobody like that. We're in the army. And I finally got off my sorry butt and said, how about doing something about it rather than crying about it? I looked at that and I said, well, why aren't they? How come I, you know, if you ask me, where would you find a guy? If you had to rely on one guy, where would you get him? And I have to harken back, you know, to Fort Bragg in 1990. That's a problem. Where are the, where's the guy yes. now in Charlotte? That's where I live. You mean you don't trust? Well, I don't have those bonds. Why not? What's missing? And I just reverse engineered it and said, these are the things that are missing. And that's, that's one of them, right? Is that shared hardship? That's, that's pretty critical to get to that. And that's that's where that comes from for us. Right. Now, in your book, you go over kind of like when you're when you're addressing the problem, and I'm sure you're right on the verge of of talking about this anyway. But I want to introduce it. You talk about like one of the things that is missing, and it's a pervasive problem in our society right now, and it's the sad clown sad clown syndrome. Right. So can you describe that? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Uh, I'd rather describe it than live it because I lived it for a long time. So <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, we it all? Goes, <laughs> it, it goes back to the, to the very first episode of Sopranos, if you're at all a fan, but Tony's... Uh, yes, I am. I watched the yeah, whole man, thing. So he's, he's, being, uh, he's going to analysis with Dr. Melfi, right? And he's a psychiatrist. And he's, he says, she asks him a question. And the question is, how do you reconcile your life as a gangster with you know, your life as a family man? You know, because she thinks that the tension between those irreconcilable differences, that that's causing his fainting, or it might be. Like, she wants to hear his answer. So she asks him a specific question, but he doesn't answer it. He says, you know what? I find that I have to be happy on the outside, even though I'm dying or I'm sad on the inside, because that's what people need. I got to play the sad clown. And that, when I watched that, like 1998, you know, I was, let me see almost 40 i was 35 years old i was in the midst of sad clown syndrome i was a couple years out of law school i weighed 50 pounds more than i do right now i didn't have any real friends you know anymore i had no faith no purpose i watched that and i'm like that's what i am i'm a sad clown (laughs) i'm faking it you know i'm faking it i'm faking it for my family i'm faking it at work I'm a mascot of a man. I'm not a real man. I'm faking it. Man, that's that's pretty powerful coming from, I mean, you were, you say Special Forces, were you a Green Beret? Yeah, yeah. So, so man, I don't know. I mean, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, so here, here you are with all of these leadership ability, all this leadership ability. You know how to train. You have been an elite athlete. To, to be able to do the things that Green Berets do. You are a lawyer. You're obviously very intelligent. And you end up in this position that basically everybody else does. Like, you're overweight. 
something happened. A lot of things changed. And here you are kind of, wow, is this like, I thought I was climbing this mountain. I thought it was going to, the view is going to be a lot better than it is. And I'm just kind of not in a good place. But it's surprising, and I think it would be surprising to people outside of F3 thinking, well, this guy, you know, or, or this was created by people that, you know, know how to lead and want to do all these things. They don't know what I'm going through. But you you knew exactly what they were going through because that's, oh, that can, was you. I can, I, can, I can empathize, man. You know, we say uh, our, our credo is uh, leave no man behind, but leave no man where you find him. So we don't, you know, you come to work out, we're going to circle back for you if you're splashing or low, you know, but we ain't going to stand there and tell you that's okay. We're going to tell you, we felt that way. I splashed my share more low and then I got strong and we're going to ask you to get stronger or at least try. Same thing in the fellowship. You know, if, if the, the world has wounded you or let you down, or you feel like your relationships are superficial and you're friendless, I felt that way, but I ain't going to leave you that way. And finally, mm-hmm. with the faith, you know, I'm no evangel- evangelist. You know, I've said I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm, I'm the world's worst Christian in many, many ways. But one of the biggest ways is that I'm lousy at get, telling about other people about my faith. I'm just not, I'm just not a smooth speaker. You know, like, oh, this would happen to me. But I know how you felt or how you feel. If you, it, and it doesn't have to be Christianity. Whatever. If you're feeling purposelessness, purposeless, right? Like you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I know that feeling, man. You know, I can I, I know that feeling. And the feeling comes from buying into a very pervasive but and well-meaning, but bad lie. Lie nonetheless. And the lie is this that something you can do will give you purpose in this way. When you're a kid and your dad says, study hard, why dad? So he can get into a good college. Okay, so you do it. You're studying hard in college. Why? So you can get a good job and you do it. Why? Well, you can make money and then you can start a family, you know, and you can have a family, have a wife and you do it. Why? Well, so you can raise kids and and tell them to study hard so they can go to college. You know, along the line, where does the why end? If every answer to every why am I doing this is another why, then it's there's something missing right? There's a lie there. You know, it's like, there's got to be a reason for what you're doing, a purpose and what we call the ultimate purpose. For me, the ultimate purpose is different for everybody. But for me, the ultimate purpose is the, is the invigoration of male community leadership. I mean, because that's, that's the flip side of my ultimate life problem. I mean, I can't walk in a McDonald's and, and see it poorly led and watch some guy who's the manager standing there jingling change in his pocket instead of leading without the impulse to go help him. You know, I, I'm just not capable of doing that. In the same way, I'll be in the car with a guy. You'll see a homeless guy inside the road. He's got to stop. You know, I can drive by him, not because I hate the homeless. I just don't love him any more than anyone else. It's mm-hmm. the sad clown I love. Who knows why, yeah. right? So right. That's, that, that is kind of how it was for me, you know? That's what, what, what drove me. And yeah, if you were looking at it from the outside, you'd think like, uh, you'd be like, you know who Jocko is? Jocko Willink? Oh yeah. 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 So he's SEAL, you know, I wasn't in the Navy, I was in the Army. He's a SEAL. He says all these things, but I watch his videos and I actually got to see him here in Charlotte 
Uh, I was like, I was, you know, I was like, wow. Here I am, fifty-six years old, fifty-five years old, watching this guy. I was like, I wish I was, I was as squared away as that guy. I'm still saying that, you know. <laughs> I mean, after yeah. all these years, and he and I, it's funny, like like me, he came from Connecticut. I, I'm, you know, I think I'm about eight years older. I'm still looking at this guy and thinking, man, I wish I was, you know, as as, uh, as physically and mentally tough as that guy, and as squared away and as as articulate as that guy, you know. Uh, well, still, I think a lot I of people do. That way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I still feel that way. But I guess what's translated for me, what changed my life around, was not getting in shape so much. That that was good. Not developing friendships. That that, that was great. But it was having a purpose, serving. You know, having this 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 servant mindset to serve other men. That mm-hmm. that's what changed my life around. You know, on the the path I was going, on my deathbed. I was going to end up saying to my wife, how did it work out? And if she said, your last check cleared, then I could die <laughs> happy, right? That's yeah. all I had. I mean, I had no legacy. I was going to be, I was going to die and kind of move off into the, you know, into the mist of memory, I guess. My kids would remember me, maybe my grandkids, I don't know. But ultimately, whatever work the Lord put me to do on earth, would crumble and fade away because it wasn't built on anything solid, you know. I was practicing laws, doing the best I could, but I wasn't serving other men. It's that servant thing. Yeah. You know, and once you grasp that, and you got to serve whoever you're wired to serve. That's what we say, you know. You got to we every man has his own thing. And if you do that, then it, then it becomes missional. And if you're missional, that's what drives you. You know, I thought I was so when I got out, you know, I left the, the army on a Friday in August of 94. I drove from Fort Bragg to, to Wake Forest Law School, which is only, you know, 180 miles. And I was there on a Monday. I might have been going to another planet, man. I, I mean, I showed up there thinking I'm self-motivated, self-disciplined. I weighed 175 pounds. I was, you know, ran every day. By Christmas, I weighed 210 pounds or 220 pounds. Wow. Really? I didn't work out. I was not one half the man I used to be. And it took me years to realize that I, when I was in the army, I was like a, uh, you know, a computer screen that only worked if you plugged it into the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, once you unplugged me from Fort Bragg, I went blank. Right. You know, I, I had no internal hard drive, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah I was just, just, I, I was nothing. And You're a great soldier, it, and when when the when the orders aren't coming down anymore, yeah. it's like you're you're a rudderless boat. I had been in a in a leadership community. I mean, you're in a special forces battalion. You're in it. That's leadership soup. I mean, you, you know, you're going to take on. You're going to resemble what you are in. I couldn't not do it. I mean, I had accountability at the yin yang. I had every day. I had a specific mission. You know, I could go to bed every night and know that I either failed to 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 fulfill my mission, I was going to get in a chance another day or I'd accomplish it. I could be satisfied by that. You know, I literally on my clothes, I had patches and ribbons that attested to the things that I had accomplished. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't work that way in the civilian world. They're not going to tell you what you do to what to do with, with such specificity. You can't go to bed every night knowing whether or not you did it or not. You don't have a duty description. Your wife writes for you that says, this is good husband. This is bad husband. You know, you don't wear on your suit or your, 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 whatever you wear. You don't have badges that say, you know, you won a trial or you produced a great movie, you know, your job or you caught the, you know, you caught the white whale. You know, you yeah. don't have that. 
you have to figure that out for yourself. It's, it's much more of a challenge that way. So uh, that's a large part of what we're trying to do in F3 is to provide missionality, is to help men find out why they were put on earth, what it is they're supposed to do, that's their task, and why they're supposed to do it. That's their purpose. Task and purpose together become mission. See, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. So what I'm yeah. doing with you right now, you know, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I know that I'm better at it than anything else that I can do. And so for me, you know, you asked me to have this call. Of course I want to do it. That's my mission. You know, this is what I'm right. supposed to be doing. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm exuberant while I'm doing it. And I'm like a dolphin, right? I'm swimming through the water, chattering, you know, happy, making dolphin smiles. And it's, it's easy for me. And that's right. why we call, we call that the dolphin. Whenever right. you're doing the thing that you're really, you're better at than anything else that, that you are called to do, you're going to look like a dolphin. So we call that a dolphin. That's your dolphin. Now, I can certainly see that that is, is your mission and, and you've been, you know, really successful at, at pursuing this. But you, you know, like when you describe a 43-year-old with his head clown syndrome and he's basically faking it, he has no idea what he wants to do, he finds an F3 group, he starts in, his mission is obviously everyone's mission is different. How do how does the group help just a regular guy find his mission? And his mission may not be to spread the the F three group as much as it might be something else. But how are these groups specifically like helping someone to to find that in their life? In two ways, general and specific, or let's say um, passively and actively. I guess so. Passively is, is probably easier to define. So in the passive way, you've got, you're just around guys like that, right? So, at, you know, at every COT, Circle of Trust, that, that ends every workout, we have, you know, an, what we call announcerama. Guys say, you know, I've got this coat driver, this food drive, or, you know, I'm volunteering at this place, that place. I need, I need five guys, right? You're around it. You're seeing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're immersed in it in that way. We're raising money. Guys are doing this. They're doing that. So even if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you're immersed in a culture that's dedicated to doing it. So that, that's, that's the passive way. The active way is we have, we have programs, one which is called the whetstone. And that is what I would do, is probably its closest analog in the civilian world or the non-entry world is uh, mentoring, you know? Uh, right. So... We have a stone and a blade. The stone is the more experienced guy. The blade is less experienced guy. And the stone and the blade meet together so the blade can get sharper, so he can learn this way. And we have four quadrants of this process you go through. The first is to get right. That's where you get physically fit and get relationship, you know, get in relationship rhythm with the people in your in your around you. That's the get right. Then there's the live right. That's where you learn to have impact around the world, in the world around you. Then there's the lead right. I've kind of been describing that to you, our leadership foundation. Fourth quadrant is the leave right. And that's how you learn to leave a legacy. That's how you, and that's how you start doing it. Mm-hmm. So through the wet, through the whetstone, you help another man start working through these quadrants and doing the things that he'll need to do to accelerate his impact in these ways. And that's a very deliberate and specific thing. So yeah. that's really what's the cue source. If you, if you, you heard me talk about before, that's what that book is written to do, is to describe okay. those four quadrants and the methodology that's used 
to get there. So you have the, the whetstone. We have Q source groups that meet and study it, you know, on a weekly or biweekly basis. Uh, they get together, like here in Charlotte, we have one that meets every Sunday uh, morning from 8.15 to 8.45. You know, it's about 10 to 12 guys that meet, and we talk through whatever the particular cue point for the week is. It could be candor, like how to be truthful and honest. It could be how to have vision, what vision is and why it's important. Uh, whatever it happens to be for the week, we talk through that, help each other get better at it. So Whetstone, Source, and then we have what's called Shield Lock, which is small groups of men work together to help each other accelerate kind of more of a horizontal relationship. And throughout F3 Nation, we encourage men to form these groups so that they can become better at what they do. So those are some of the deliberate ways that we do it. Yeah, for sure. So when somebody first finds a group and starts going, like I would imagine that it's a little bit like drinking out of a fire hose, like you have all these opportunities. How soon are these opportunities kind of introduced to somebody? Like, are you going to typically kind of make sure that this person's going to stick around? Because I'm, I'm sure this isn't for everyone or, or that, you know, I'm sure that everyone can benefit from it, but I'm not sure that everyone will stick around long enough to understand like what's going yeah. on. Um, and I don't so, know what our uh, recidivism rate is. Like, I don't know how many guys, you know, we don't count anything like that. Right. You know, right. guys, you know, right. Uh, people so, show up, they don't come back, uh, you know, on to yeah, the next one but, and, and somebody's going to stick. Right. And um, we have guys that do it for a year and then disappear. Life jumps in, whatever, they come back. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's yep. why we have the, we, we, you know, we have very low barriers, right? Uh, we want guys to come back. We want them to, we don't want to guilt them to come back. You know, we, 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 we do go out and ask a guy, you know, if I haven't seen a guy in a while, I'm like, what's up, man? Where you been? Right. So we right. do do that. Uh, but, but we don't, you know, hit him over the head with it. But what we do is to answer your first question is, we pretty much throw you in the soup, man. I mean, it, somebody will explain uh, what we're talking about. Every, every region has Q school. And at Q school, they teach pretty much what comes out of, the, of, the, of, of free to lead, kind of that basis. And already, you know, we also have the Q source, so we have that kind of different groups. And we have Grow Ruck, so you know, we're teaching that at a higher level. And pretty much wherever you are, you know, we say jump in and see how fast you can catch up and see how fast you can sharpen up and do what you can do. You know, so pretty much from the start, you know, uh, focusing on not not leaving you where we find you. Right. On. Uh, yeah, there's no real starter kit. Yeah. No, it's 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 really cool. All of the different resources and the way that you have all this structured. It's it's quite amazing what what has been built. Let me ask you this. What do you think about the idea that in order to be an exceptional leader, you need to be an exceptional follower. Yeah, that's pretty much baked in. I mean, we have two levels of, uh, or two kind of branches for what you, I guess you said exceptional. We say effective, which just means that you can influence movement uh, to advantage. Then you're effective, but you can be effective and not be virtuous. And a virtuous leader is someone who also has leadership characteristics, candor, commitment, consistency, contentment, and courage. So, you know, Hitler was an effective leader, but he sure as heck wasn't virtuous, right? Right. Jimmy Carter, you know, pick your guy, Mitt Romney, they're virtuous, but they're not effective, right? right. Uh, not to pick on politicians so much. You know, they're, yeah. they're nice guys, you know, who you would certainly want to share a beer with, but would you call on them to lead? Maybe not, you know? So we say to be a virtuous leader, you first have to be effective, and then you have to be we're always working on 
exemplifying the leadership uh, characteristics so that you also be virtuous. So for us, you know, virtuous leadership is is what we're teaching. That's our goal. Uh, that's where we're trying to get to guys. And um, that's a lifetime practice to get to that. Wow. Do you ever think about the ripple effects of, I mean, even, even you could just start with the first group, the first group they ever had, or even just everybody in Charlotte and the ripple effects that this, this type of a movement has on the world. I mean, obviously you do. I mean, that's the mission, but I just find it like even even with my group that's quite a bit smaller than yours the the ripple effects through the community um that extend they extend out so far it's it's always mind blowing to me and then when you add exponential numbers like where f three is i mean this is like a real movement and it's a movement in in leadership in just becoming a good man, a good person. Like Goruck says, you know, building better Americans, like that's their, that's their kind of thing. You're building, you're building better leaders. And when you build better leaders, obviously, I mean, this is your mission. You, you, you know what effect that's going to have on the community, but do you ever just kind of sit back and, and look at what has been created and just kind of be overwhelmed or surprised or, I mean, I know it's fulfilling, but the speed at which this has happened is pretty impressive. Well, I'm honored uh, by you saying that. I overwhelmed, astounded, I guess, you know, uh, would be a couple of different words that jumped out because that was, you know, all we were trying to do is stay 43 feet ahead. That's all we're still doing now is try to stay 43 feet ahead of the men driving on the road. So while we have long range plans, and we are trying to uh, extend the vision because what happens to a movement, and we do believe we're a movement, it's what we call a lizard organization, which is something light, lean, and can get through cracks, walk up walls, all that stuff, right. is if a lizard loses its effectiveness, if it stops having vision, if it stops moving, it becomes a bullfrog. And that's just something big that occupies a lily pad and is strong enough to feed itself because it can flick flies, you know? Right. But even that isn't permanent. That'll become a leech over time. And there's lots of organizations and you can look at them and say they're leech. You know, they're they're no a bullfrog is all about existential continuity, just continuing to be what it is. A lizard is about missionality, is about continuing to accomplish the mission. So oh. to maintain our lizardiness, we're always trying to scale impact without growing logistics. Mm-hmm. In other words, we want to have a broader touch, have, have our mission accomplished without having a commensurate increase in the size of our logistical tail. Because if you do that, if you don't, if you don't control your logistical tail, ultimately the tail will wag, the logistical tail will wag the operational dog. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're always light and lean. that's our that's our that's our goal so we don't own any buildings you know we don't you know we own intellectual property because if you don't people will take it and morph it and you know it's not yours anymore right but other than that you know we don't own anything i said before you know we we're working towards hiring somebody and the only real reason for that is we think we're giving the organization short shrift by not having somebody 
who can put their full time, you know, eyeballs on it. We think we think we have to do that. So right. we're 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 close to doing that. And a big part of that is we're moving towards a, a, a model of fundraising so we can get some more operational capital to feed the operation. Now, mm-hmm. my hope is that because we've set all these guard, what we call guardrails in, pl- in place, that will not cause us to bullfrog. You know, that will not make us turn to feeding logistics before we push the mission. And, you know, when I say hope, 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 really what I'm talking about is leadership. If you have virtuous leaders, they won't let it happen. Right. If you don't, they will. Or if you have, like most organizations, have management, they don't. They don't really have leaders. Um, of course, they just manage the resources instead of instead of leading to, to towards advantage by their natures. That's what they do. So that is baked into our DNA: is to is to continue our commitment to missionality. We talk about it a lot. So if you were to blue sky five years, I mean, or just down the road, I want to, I want to end with that, but I want to ask one more question before, and that is that it seems like so much of what we've talked about would be so beneficial to people that are getting out of the military, maybe suffering from PTSD. Do you, do you see that you're bringing those people into F3 or is there a natural draw to it? Or do you have you know, any I designs think, on that? I wouldn't say we have a huge influx of of um, former military guys. I think a lot of military guys feel like, you know, I did that PT thing for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I've been, lo- I've been looking forward to sleeping in. And, you know, the morning thing for us is not to replicate the military so much as we all had kids to put on the bus. You know, it was just a matter of, you know, when can I work out and be home to get the kids up and help my wife. Oh, get yeah. Them. That's exactly why we have the group in the morning. It's like soccer practice in the afternoon, wrestling practice. There's a play. There's this. There's that. Somebody says, okay, well, I'm going to do it at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but you miss today, and then you miss tomorrow, and then you're there the next day, but then you miss the next day, and there's this inconsistency, and it never happens. And so what what we all determine as, as kind of that 43-year-old person that you've described so well is that the only time that is truly yours in the day is the morning and you just get up earlier than your family and it's your time and you're not disturbing anyone. You're not taking time away from the family because that's something that I see all the time is that if you're trying to work out in the evening and you're missing dinner, bath and bedtime, well, you're not being a good leader in the home. You're it's not sustainable because your wife's going to get upset with you. The kids are going to be missing you. It's not a sustainable kind of thing. And it, it comes down to what, what time is yours? And it's the morning. Like you just have to get up in the morning and do that because that really, in, in that situation of, a, of a, a dad of a young family, that's your only time. You know, you've got to keep everything else going. You've got to go to work. You've got to be a, a good dad. You want to be a good dad. And to try to, you know, duck out, you know, after dinner or something like that and head to the gym, that's not sustainable. It doesn't work. And then it goes into that kind of kind of situation that you talked about so well in your book about the Pogo 40, about, you know, you're just on this yo-yo thing of getting out of shape and then getting back in shape and then getting out of shape and then getting back in shape. And never, never along the line are you 
forming these relationships or finding anything that is that is uh, an enhancement to your life rather than, you know, it's like it has to be an enhancement. It can't be, you know, a detriment, something that your wife gets mad at you because you're you're putting all this time in or your kids are missing you or you're missing the most important things in, in their life. So I'm dead on uh, with you on the morning on the morning deal. There's got to be some sacrifice to it. I mean, if you ask a, you know, a typical 43 kind of guy, right? You say, who says, you know, I have this New Year's resolution. I'm going to get in good shape. Sometimes I like to tease him a little bit. I say, well, why? What do you mean? Why? You know, cause it's a demonstrably good thing. Yeah. Why do you want to get in good shape? I mean, why, why bother? Well, you know, uh, be healthy. And this is something I, this is something I need to do for me. And I, We'll tease them a little bit and say, well, I don't really work out for myself. I mean, that's not entirely true. I mean, I really, I like being in good shape. I mean, I like to be able to go to the beach and take off my shirt and not be totally embarrassed. And those are all nice things. But primarily I do it for my, what we call the concentrica, which is the array of relationships that surround a man in his life. You know, so instead of work-life balance, it's kind of an Oprah bomb. You know, because you you know no, you can't balance things that are <laughs> that are dynamic. Right. You know, it's a, it's the thing that never works anyway. People talk about it all the time. Instead, if you look at the relationships of, in your life, like the like the rings on an archery target, and you say, in the center ring is my wife. That's what we would call her the M, not because it's Ms. It's because it's the most important relationship. It's a relationship upon which all the other rest. She's at the center of your target. So if your time and energy is a bunch of arrows and a quiver on your back, you should be shooting most of those into the center, right? If you're mm-hmm. not, your, your marital relationship will suffer and so will the rest. The next ring is your kids, what we call the shorties. You know, that's, those are your sacrificial relationships. You know, how much money do you spend on each kid? The amount of money I have divided by the number of kids, right? I mean, sacrificial. Right. Third ring, is we call the shield lock. That's the horizontal relationship. That's your fellowship. Those are your buddies. The next ring is what we call the whetstone. That's the vertical relationship. The last ring is work, what we call mammon. That's last. That's where the least amount of your arrows should be going. And there's no other rings. Well, what about my, you know, my father? No, okay, fine. We're not saying it's not a relationship. We're just saying he's not in those inner rings. Mm-hmm. Those five things are those inner rings. And you can't balance them. You can only keep them in rhythm. And one of the things you do to keep them in rhythm is being in great physical condition Absolutely. and get stronger because yeah. fatigue, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And if you are fatigued and cowardly, you can't stand up to your end of the relationships that you're in. You can't be there when your wife needs you most. You can't carry your kids at work. You tire out too fast. I mean, if you're too tired, and too weak to play catch with your son in the backyard or carry your wife's suitcase out to the car from the airport, you can't be good at any of those things. Right. I mean, it, it's elemental, right? It's yes. elemental. You're, you do it, you, you know, we, that we call exercise the king. You engage in the king so you can serve the rest of the kingdom. It's that simple. And if you look at it that way, 5.30 in the morning is no big deal at all. That's right. Of course, of course, I should sacrifice that time. It's not about me. This isn't something I'm doing for myself. It has 
byproducts and positive consequences that inure to my benefit. Yeah, of course it does. But if that's where you're starting out, you won't maintain it. I mean, if that's all you're about, you know, I want to look good or I want to fit into this pair of pants or fit in my, you know, my marriage tuxedo, you know, that that might be a goal you meet, but that's when you'll hit the plateau and, and go back into Pogo 40. If hmm. it's an everything day, it's an everyday thing you do. So you get right and stay right. If, if it's a discipline, right? And that's what we call the king. It's the daily discipline of physically training your body. You do it every day. Then you do it for those purposes so that you can serve your concentrica in your community. Yeah. That's why you do it. And you know what? It yeah, it sure does. And then, that way. and then there's also, you know, you've got the group. You know, you've got this group that is relying yeah. on you as much as you're relying on them. And if you abandon the group, that's that's not good. Like they're going to abandon you, and neither one of you is is going to do that um, willy nilly kind of. I don't. I'm not going today because there are people that count on you. There are people that. I mean, maybe it's your turn to lead, or maybe it's. Maybe it's, you, you know, you brought somebody into the group and it's their turn to lead and you need to be there for them. That is what gets you there. That kind of accountability that is not a forced in accountability, but a voluntary accountability. Like, I want to be there. That's such a big difference between wanting to and feeling like you have to or kind of I don't know. That's that's what you've built. I see that clearly. It's really it's really awesome, man. I am so on board with everything. Literally everything that that F3 is about. It's fantastic. Um I just love it. So where do you want to see this go? Well, I would like it to go wherever wherever God says it's supposed to go, to be honest with you. You know, that's my that I I believe that as the Nantan of F3 Nation that it's my role as narrow as it is because you'd be surprised how little <laughs> i actually do uh, is to is to cast vision is to have vision to articulate that vision clearly so the rest of the my my leadership team can can effectuate it to persuade other men to take a first step towards that vision towards the advantage i visualize and to exhort them through the obstacles that are going to pop up along the way you know that's vape what we call vape that's our that's how we define leadership uh, and so my job is to do that. So where I see us going is I see us continuing to provide the opportunity to start groups in every part of America that needs it. That's where I want to be. And we've started to look internationally. Uh, you know, there's a, a healthy dose of American patriotism in F3. Uh, there's also a healthy dose of kind of American values of democracy and constitutional uh, governance and capitalism mm -hmm. in F3. It's intertwined in what we do. So, you know, England does one thing or maybe Australia, you start talking about Europe, they have a different way of yeah. seeing that, you know? Now you start talking about Central South America, different still. Now we have language barriers. So we're going to have to do some work to be able to, to spread our vision there. Uh, and I, and that's, that's where we're looking right now is it, you know, we, we're looking out past the borders of the continental United States into places that, uh, would be receptive to it where we could be helpful to not only be an American thing, but to be overseas as well. And we, we have had minor 
success is in that effort enough so that I think that it's doable. Wow. Well, I wish you all the best. I really do. I think that what has been created is is amazing. It really is. It's a it's a movement. It has incredible effects on the on the community, therefore the region, the nation, the world, really. You know, you should be very proud of of where this is. It's it's quite impressive. So, if somebody wanted to, you know, they're listening to this, they've never heard of F3, that it's intriguing to them. The thought is intriguing. They want to find a group. They want to learn more. What do they do? They can get on F3Nation.com, F3Nation.com. And it that tells the story, describes what it is. It also provides information about where we are. The individual regions, we had to, we used to be all on one website, but the thing got unwieldy. So we decentralized, which is, you know, part of what we do anyway. So each region has its own. So if you were in uh, Puget Sound, F3 Puget Sound, you know, is what you would look up. But uh, you can get the kind of the overarching story of F3 Nation. Wherever you are, if it's a major city, I mean, we're in most major cities. So, you know, uh, that's, that's not a bad thing to do is to just, just, just to Google up F3 wherever you happen to be, Chicago or, or you know, Detroit or whatever. And, you're, and you, you'll probably find yeah. that website. And that website will generally, in the way that works best for them, provide information. They'll have a map. And I think the, 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 the nation site has a, a nationwide map. And you can look at the map and say, oh, well, there's one that's very close to me. So that can kind of get you started. Also has contacts, like you know we have you get through us to Facebook and that kind of stuff, and we have a guy that uh, as a volunteer answers those queries, uh, which I'm, are a lot. You know, when you come to Kalamazoo, you know I got to stop saying when you come to Kalamazoo there because you go. we have one in Kalamazoo <laughs> now. When you when you come to uh, Esplanty, Esplanty, I'll use that for a while. Where where are you, Tom? Where you're sitting? Uh, both in the Florida Keys, and then right now I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and there is an okay, F3 so here. We're in that- yeah, there's F3 in Chattanooga. Is there an Tennessee F3 in uh, Key West? They're, the closest we are to Key West is Tampa, which isn't close at all. We are looking at South Florida, so I guess you're talking Miami, Fort Lauderdale in the first quarter of next year. Uh, then Almorada, I guess. We'll just start walking out the Keys, man. Yeah, well, Almorada uh, would be a good place. Um, it's interesting because my first experience with any sort of group like this was probably back in about 2000 five or maybe 2006. And there was a gentleman that I guess he was in the Navy and he had a group at Boca Chica Naval Air Station. This is before 9-11. So, you know, gates were open. You just drive on in. They they weren't checking anybody. And uh, he had a, a free workout, very similar to this. It was, it was, but it was kind of similar, more similar to the to the first group that uh, that you reference in your book, where, you know, he he had no no designs on growing this thing into a movement or anything. But it was it was the first group that I ever went to, and I was, you know, quite impressed. And then developed my own group uh, after that. I was like, man, that is that is something, man. Starting your day like that, that's awesome. And uh, so I always had kind of an idea that I, that's what I was going to do is, is create my own group like that. And not long after that, I did. Um, but I know so, I mean, and people, they used to have, you know, 20, 30, 40 people going to that. So 
the appetite's there. It's for sure. Yeah, it, it really is. I was surprised as anybody to find out that there were a heck of a lot of sad clowns out there just like me. You know, I, I was surprised. I was surprised by that. I don't know why. I guess I'm not much of a philosopher, but uh, I there. It's, it's well, pervasive. I mean, I mean, you could yep. be kind of thinking, well, you know, I was in the military and I had a career there, and now, you know, I don't have that anymore, and I'm really unfulfilled. You know, I could see that, and and you're looking at the civilian world, like all these people kind of have it together to 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 a point, or maybe they're just faking it better than you were, you know. And it's like it's almost like being on a, you know, you're on a sports team or whatever, and you retire, and now it's like, okay, now what do you do? And it's like I'm just really depressed, or or yeah, even right. like even like people but, that retire, but, like you you but, have somebody that works for a long time, they retire. What do they do? They're they're super depressed because now they have no purpose. Now they have no meaning. They their their life is, you know. Other people are like, yes, I'm so glad I'm retired because I've been waiting for this for 20 years. And they have all kinds of plans that they want to do. But I mean, I could see that how you might not, you know, think that the civilian world was full of people that felt the way that you did. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that there's a bunch there's a bunch of people that are unfulfilled out there. It's a funny thing. And I used to, you know, I'd give this, these kind of talks a lot. And uh, inevitably, a guy will come up to me afterwards and say, man, you really spoke to me. And I say, I'll say, it's funny because I was really only speaking about, about me, you know, just to say, you know, we all have this feeling. We, I didn't think it would work in different socioeconomic strata, you know, because of, you know, just getting up early. You know, it just didn't, it didn't seem like the kind of thing. It works everywhere. We have homeless shelter workouts. You know, we have recovery, you know, mission workouts. And and it's because in the heart of every man beats, you know, are those three holes, right? Inconsistent right. fitness. We all care about our body. You know, loneliness and lack of purpose. I don't care who you are or where you grew up, what color your skin is. doesn't matter. We're all men. It's all the same. You know, the, the, the biggest difference I see between poor men and rich men is rich men are, are better at hiding, hiding it, faking it, hmm. better at faking. They make, they make better permanent sad clowns. It's like when I say to a guy that's like, you know, a skinny fat guy that can eat whatever he wants and not get fat, you know, and he's like, I'm not, I say, oh, you look pretty good. He's like, ah, I'm not working out at all. I could just eat whatever I want. Number one, I hate you. Number two, I feel sorry for you because I can't do that. <laughs> and when I start eating, you know, right. when I start eating, everyone will see it, you know, same thing with rich guys. You know, they've been brought up to know how to fake it. They've, they've had that burn in their head. They don't, they're taught not to ask for help. They're taught to ask for help is weak and wrong, so they fake it. And then other people don't realize. Every once in a while, some one of these rich guys, I'm saying rich guys, you know, one of these whatever, one percenters, you know, goo would call him, blows his brains out. And everybody's like, I, don't, I didn't even know he was unhappy. And then, but somebody does. Yeah. You know, that dude was going to the country club and showing up at the bank every day, and the whole time he was miserable, knowing, having no, no reason for living, you know, and faking it every day and finally just gave up. Wow. Those are the guys that I feel for, man. You know, I mean, I, I just, I just want to help them. And that F3 is a way to, I guess, to do that. Well, I think you're helping more people than, than maybe you will ever know, because, you know, the ripple effect is you help that, that person, you're helping his family and those kids are growing up under, under better guidance and better leadership and, and, that and that extends on out further exponentially. Um, it's really cool, man. 
I am so happy that we made this work because I've been wanting to hear this story from you for a long time. When I first started this podcast, you were on my initial list of people that I wanted to talk to. And we, we almost got it set up last year and then it kind of slipped between you know, between the cracks a little bit. And, and I just recently kind of made contact again, but I'm really, really excited and happy to share this with my audience. I think it's going to really resonate because I think that 43 is probably the, the age of my audience for the most part, the median age. Um, and it's heavy mail. So I think it's going to really resonate. But Dave, I hope that uh, that we can meet in person one day. Uh, I think we have far more in common than, than we even learned on this phone call. But uh, I'm just very impressed with what, what has been created. And um, just congratulations, man. Tom, thanks a lot. Honored for your words. And next time I hit the keys, I'll give you a call. Right on. Let's do it. want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv spend your saturdays with life on the water join captain brandon simmons for fishing diving travel and so much more you want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest oh look at that thing dude (laughs) let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today don't miss life on the water every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv (laughs) the destination for outdoor entertainment